and breadth to illustrate the love and the fullness of God. And in number 19, that climactic verse there, he mentions that we ought to be full with the fullness of God. Think about that. That's pretty filled up, isn't it? Full with the fullness of God. And then in verse number 21, he says that these promises might be exceedingly abundantly administered unto us, and then all of it is to the glory of God without end and throughout all of time. Those are words of fullness. Those are words of completeness. Those are words that illustrate for us a depth and a deepness that maybe few people know about. The words that Caleb just read to you are no doubt a mouthful. There's a lot going on here and we would not be able to scratch the surface with all of these verses tonight. But I want us to see these promises that God has offered to us and I want us to understand that we should be finding our fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We should be finding our fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We should find it in His strength, in His love, and in His fullness. His strength and His love and His fullness. The promises in, these, in this passage here are not offered to somebody just in Paul's time. They're not offered just to the Ephesians. But rather, they're offered to all of God's people. For as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God in Him, that is in Christ, are yea and amen and unto the glory of God by us. These are God's precious promises offered to you, you, and you, all of you. Now, what are you going to do with them? That'd be the question you have to ask. What am I going to do with the promises of God? Where am I going to find my fulfillment? Is my fulfillment in Christ or is it in something else? Because we won't find our fulfillment in our popularity, our social media status. You won't find it in alcohol or sex or drugs or music or a relationship. You're not going to find your fulfillment in material treasures or monetary gain. You're only going to find fulfillment in Christ. In Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John 6.35 He that cometh unto me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. John 6.35 Where's your needle at on your tank? Some of you like to drive around. Y'all think that E means, you know, you don't think it means empty. So you might think it means enough, you know. Uh, but when you get down to that E down there, it's time to fill up. I think most mechanics even tell me that before you even get there, you know what, you need to fill up. When it gets to about a quarter of a tank, you need to fill up. You know, get that thing going. You might get some bad gas there in your engine. Where are you at tonight, spiritually? Did you need, you need to fill up tonight? You say, I, I just, preacher, I, it's been a long week. Some of you, it's been a long day. You know what, it can be just a long hour sometimes. Can it? Sometimes it can just be a long hour. But we need the filling of God. Well, notice, first of all, a full work. 
a full and complete work. The Bible says to us, in back to verse number 13, he says, Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is, for you, which is your glory. He's talking to these Ephesians here and he's telling them that he is concerned for them. He's concerned that they would faint. They would fall back. They would um, perhaps uh, stop serving the Lord in the fashion in which they were doing so whenever Paul was with them. He's letting them know that you shouldn't faint at my tribulations. What did he mean by that? Well, Paul was in an intense amount of persecution at this time. He was facing uh, jail time. And uh, some might have thought that if I associate with Paul, that that might be my fate also. That might be where I end up. And is this thing of Jesus Christ worth it all? Is it worth it? I'm not under the impression at all from the Word of God that Paul had any children. I'm not under the impression that he was married. But I can say this, he had a whole lot of children. Spiritual children. He had countless ones of them. Just read your Bibles in Romans chapter number 16 and see all the people that he was associated with, people that he won to the Lord, people that he led to Christ. See all the churches that he established and people that he loved. This was a full and a complete work. And Paul in his letters was always concerned with this, that the churches that he had started, even some that he had not, like the church at Colossae, would fall, would go back, would, uh, would uh, step away from their calling that was found in Jesus Christ. And he was always pushing them to continue forward and move on with Jesus Christ. Don't hold back. Don't fall back. Don't get away. He understood that for his Jewish believers, his Jewish readers, I might say, there was always a pull to go back to Judaism. For his Judas readers, there was always a pull to go back to this life, to go back to this place, to go back to Judaism, to get back under the old covenant, get back under this old system of law. No doubt they faced family pressure. They faced family uh, issues. He understood also for his Gentile friends that there was an intense attraction to go back to the world. An intense attraction to go back to the things of the world, to the, to the, uh, to the rites and to the celebrations, to the, uh, to the life that, uh, they, uh, that they once lived in. A life of uh, immorality, a life of drunkenness, a, a life of debauchery, a, a life that, uh, that they were saved from. There was always this pull for them to go back. You know what was one of the interesting things? There's two people that oftentimes pull this direction with, these, with us. It's family and friends. And they pull, and they pull, and they pull. They say things like, you don't really got to go to church this Sunday. I mean, come on, you don't really need to go to church this Sunday, right? I mean, you go to church, what, you know, 50 times, about 50, 50 weeks out of the year, you don't need to go this Sunday. I mean, you can, you can take a break every now and then. You don't have to serve the Lord all the time. Come on now, just, just don't, you, don't have to, you can kind of take a break. There's always a pull with whenever you have lost family, lost friends, uh, lost people in your life to try to pull you away from Christ. And Paul understood this. Read all of his letters. He was always writing about this. He was always telling them that, you know what, be careful. Don't fall back. Don't faint. Don't go away. Stay with the faith. He dealt with these issues in his letters. He dealt with, these, uh, with, these, with his church, his spiritual family in Ephesus. And he was wanting them to continue on for the work's sake. And so to do that, he would write them a letter. That is the, what we call the book of Ephesians. And then also, he was going to pray for them as he always did. 
He says in verse number 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And this is his prayer for them. Verses 16 down through verse number 21. This is what he is praying for them. I will pray for you. And I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you today. Any pastor that goes through this particular study that I'm doing tonight and doesn't pray for his flock, well, he's missed the whole entire sermon. But I've tried to pray for you today, specifically, by name. Pray for you that you would have these things in your life. And we ought to all pray for each other. We ought to pray more for each other. Sometimes, sometimes we really want people to change. Or we want our sons and daughters to be saved. Or we want... Uh, somebody to start subscribing to a particular way in which we believe or a particular way in which, uh, the, the, in which we think or maybe we want just a real change in America or we want a real desire for the church to have revival and souls to be saved and the pews to be full and we really have a real desire for these kinds of things. But do we pray for these things? That would be the question. Because it's only prayer that really changes things. That's it. The only thing that will change anybody in any time is prayer. You say, well, my prayers won't really help anybody. Tell that to Moses. His prayers affected God so much that he saved the lives of over 2 million people. Tell that to Daniel. That his prayers were so effectual unto God that Satan actually prevented Michael the archangel from coming down to answer his prayers. His prayers were so effectual unto God. Think about that. Does Satan fight against your prayers? He, can, he might, if you would pray. Samuel said, they said to Samuel, they said, please do not forget to pray for us. He said, I'm not going to stop praying for you lest I sin. They knew his prayers were effectual. They knew his prayers were helpful unto them. Daniel, Job, and Noah's prayers were so effectual and so powerful that God even uses them as a spiritual example in the book, of, I believe it is, of, uh, I think of Jeremiah or Ezekiel, one of the major prophets there, to say that if even these three men were in the land, that I would not, I would not turn back what I've said on the captivity of Jerusalem. And only these three men would be saved. Prayer warriors is what they were. David said in Psalm 34, 6, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Don't ever put away the power of prayer, friend. Pray for people. Help people. Give people advice. Minister to them. Love them. Do the best you can for them. But I've spoken to a many a parent, grandparent. I've spoken to a many a friend in person. That the only advice that I can give to them is simply this. You can pray for them. Never ever put that out. Never think that's too little. Never think to yourself, well, that's nothing much. Never think to yourself, whenever somebody says, I'll pray for you, say thank you. I need it. I need it. Let us never doubt the power of prayer. Paul prays for them. What does he pray for them for? He tells them, he says he wants them to be full. Full of Jesus Christ. 
He tells them that in verses number 16 and 17 in so many words that he says that God would grant you. That would, that's the word give. That God would actually give you according to the riches of his glory. I heard a great illustration on that. He said, someone, I think it was Wearsby that said that if a billionaire gives you $10 of his wealth, that is just a small portion of what he owns. But if he gives you a million dollars of his billion dollars, then that is according to his wealth. That matches up and lines up with how wealthy he is. If a guy just yanks out 10 bucks and he's worth a billion dollars, well, that's not really a big deal. That's just a very small portion. That's just, that's really nothing. But God says, listen here, I'm not giving you 10 bucks. I'm giving you something that's according to my strength. According